Hello and welcome to the Hub Systems Podcast, the voice of man's model moments, the blog of the various ramblings on the modelling and gaming antics of my son and I. My name is Alex Mann, and with me is my son, Oscar. Hello. This week we have another two guests with us, one from the UK and one from the far side of the US. So let me extend a Hub Systems welcome to Daryl Henson, owner of the LaserCut Architect. Hello. And Alex Bates from Forge of Ice. Hello. Thanks both for making the time to come onto the show. So perhaps you can give us a little bit of a, an introduction to yourselves in a gamer bio kind of format. So, Daryl, perhaps you can kick us off here. Okay, uh, I'm 43 now, live in sort of the Chesterfield area, and I've been wargaming since I was at Sprog, uh, sort of 9, 10-ish. It was mainly 40k when I started, and I've still got a really nice 10,000-point Imperial Guard army that I will always cherish. But a few years ago, uh, a mate of mine introduced me to Firestorm uh, by Spartan, and I've sort of never really looked back since. So that led to Planetfall. So they're the two main ones that are game at the moment. Um, I have had a game of Batman and X-Wing, and I do have a look at other things, but the two armies I mainly collect is the lovely Directorate. Absolutely. As you know, for the Firestorm. <laughs> oh, yes. And the Firestorm, let's say, direct trade we, we are completely unbiased, but, but that is the right choice. Of course <laughs> it is. Of course it is. And uh, obviously you've seen me army. It's, uh, I love my directorate to bits. Do a lot of tournaments now as well. It's very nice. Your directorate fleet is quite stunning, I would say. Not when they're destroying my Aquans then, on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a blip. <laughs> it was uh, a good day at the office that day. Uh, obviously I've done Reading three times now, is it? I think it's three times, and I'm going down Southampton later this year as well for another tournament down there. So, uh, Excellent. hopefully, with a newly painted directorate, we shall have to see. Oh, rebranding. Yes, it's, uh, but, like I say, for 20 years, I've been in sales, uh, working for other people, different things, and uh, end of last year, decided to um, put my passion forward and sort of set up my own business, modelling scenery. But obviously I'll go through that a bit later. Excellent. And Alex, uh, how about you? How did you start off in, in gaming? Well, I'm, a, I'm 41 now, and I live in Fairbanks, Alaska. I started gaming, I think when I was about six years old, my parents bought me the Dungeons & Dragons basic set, because it had a big dragon on the cover, and I thought monsters and dinosaurs were cool. Excellent. And they are. Uh, they are. They are. They're my favorite. I'll talk to you. Uh, and uh, I don't think I really understood it until I was probably 10 or 11, but I was, uh, I'm was. i a big reader even as a little kid, and I just remember just poring over the monster manuals and stuff when I was like, you know, in 82, 83, when I was, you know, seven, eight, nine years old. Then uh, my family moved to Alaska when I was about 10. And uh, that's about when I started getting into miniatures wargaming. I started with Ralph Partha figures, but it was always uh, ex as accessories for my role-playing games until I discovered Rogue Trader, um, which kind of got me hooked on real early 40K and um, uh, the Grenadier miniatures for their Cthulhu line. Uh, I, I played a lot of Call of Cthulhu and Vampire and Palladium. Uh, uh, matter of fact, my background is much more strongly in role-playing games than it is in tabletop miniatures. Um, uh, and as I've gotten older and my, uh, 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 you know, Alaska is kind of a solitary sort of place, uh, miniatures just sort of being more, uh, rewarding for me because it's something I can do alone. I don't need to find three or four or five other people to brave the 40 below weather to, uh, come over to <laughs> do, uh, miniatures. And, uh, I, I worked at a 
a local comic shop for about four years. That was great. That really broadened my horizon. I think before that, I wasn't even aware that anything other than 40K or Ralph even existed. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think it was about eight years ago I decided to buy a business license and take the plunge and try to make my own miniatures because I was sick and tired of wishing, man, I, I wish somebody would make a miniature for this. And then I sort of had this epiphany where I realized... I'm an adult. I can make miniatures. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. So I, I got in touch with some sculptors I'd met online, and, and uh, here we are. Fantastic. Okay, thanks. Thanks both for that. Now, what have we all been up to in our spare time over the past few weeks? So, Oscar, perhaps you want to kick us off there. Well, um, actually, we've played a game today, which we've been waiting for we forever did. to play. So the Kickstarter The Others came out, how long ago was it? Uh, the other seven sins. Yes, sorry. It, well, we received it a few months ago now, beginning of the year, didn't we? Did and we haven't got around to playing it, so we played a couple of rounds of that this morning, and that was that was yep. really fun. Actually, that was worth it. It was. It came right down to the wire on the first one. It was basically you have seven heroes, three of which are in play at any time, and you're fighting against a sin. You chose envy. I had envy as yeah. my sin. We have all seven of them. I think two come in the basic starter set. We went whole ham for the Kickstarter, so we had everything. <laughs> a huge crate of stuff that arrived. So you basically go through these, try to do these missions, and if you can't replenish your heroes at the end of a turn, you fail. Or if you don't complete all your mission objectives, if they all die. So I was just in the last throes of killing your last monster to achieve all of my goals, and all I had to do was kill that. Even if I died, if you die on your last turn... While achieving your objectives, the heroes win. But you and, didn't, uh, did you? No, no, you tore them <laughs> to pieces. <laughs> so the hero bravely stood up against a huge towering monster. But I can't really be... Alan uh, was ripped to shreds. Can't be bragging, though, because you're at, it was an absolute landslide victory the second time to you. The second time I, I got my you stuff what you were together. Doing. Let's, yeah, and, uh, and I went full, full out then. So awesome. It's a really fun game, and it's got a lot of... Re- Repeatability, replayability. Oh, yeah, it's brilliant for that. You've got seven sins, all of which play differently. Lots of different heroes. Lots of different heroes, all of which play differently, and it's very, very synergistic. It's a really, really good game. If you get a chance to play it, thoroughly recommend it. And if, Alex, you're into Cthulhu, some of the aesthetics of the monsters are very oh, definitely. crafty, aren't they? So. Yeah. Uh, also, another kind of thing related to alien-y things is we went to see the new film Life. We did. I don't know if any of you guys have seen the trailer for that. I've heard good things. Yeah, it's in the trailer. Yeah, yeah it, it is good. Yeah, definitely recommend going and seeing it. Um, don't go and see it if you're feeling a bit depressed. Yeah, no, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, bad things it happen. Is. That's not a spoiler. No. <laughs> yeah, if, if you want a Disney film, yeah, choose something else. Beauty and the Beast yeah. is showing as well. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that has a monster in it, you know. <laughs> From my side, again, we've done all of that stuff. I've run a couple of one-shots for my D&D group. So a couple of weeks ago we did a barroom brawl. Oh no, that was hilarious! <laughs> which uh, was the old White Dwarf Eleven barroom brawl, which I remember playing as a kid. Basically updated it to fifth edition, which didn't require much, and we had a blast with that. I was going to say I quite enjoyed playing a uh, racist barbarian <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to kill kill non humans. <laughs> Howard, I think they're all racist. That's what they've got to be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've also been bolstering my PHR forces for Drop Fleet before we uh, before we have a game, just to tip things in my favour. Yeah, no, but actually, not much time to do much modelling or painting. It's our end of year at work, so it's all very 
lots of forecast calls and all hectic stuff there. I did actually binge watch a show called, I don't know if either of you have heard of this, The Kettering Incident? No. No. You guys come across this? It's a New Zealand series, which has the... I don't know if you saw The Night Manager, Daryl. No. Um, I know I've, I've saw clips, but no, I haven't actually watched watched it fully. Well, it's got the, the woman who's kind of the lead female in that is the lead in this series, right. and it's just slightly odd. And you kind of... It gets more odd as you go through it. To start with, you don't know whether it's just a straightforward... What's it called again? It's called The Kettering Incident. Hmm. Right. So it's it's on Sky. I don't know what else it's on. I don't think uh, I've got to the weird part yet, because it's kind of normal with a slightly eerie feel to it at yeah, the moment. It's kind of a, a missing person, you know, is it a murder mystery, you're not sure, and it gradually just gets weird and by yeah. the last one, the eighth one of the first series, it's just like, Wow, I want to see what happens in the next yeah. What do you mean that's the end of the series? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, looking forward to well, hopefully they do a series two, otherwise I'm gonna be gutted. But yeah, binged watch that. And that's about me, so Alex, I don't know whether we have to call you uh, Ice Alex or Forge Alex. Or <laughs> how about how about Alaska Alex? Alaska Alex, that's got a good ring to it. So I've used that online a few times. I'm Alex in Alaska, so Alaska <laughs> Alex works. Okay. So, so what's been keeping your spare time occupied other than shoveling snow? <laughs> well, it's it's it, it's warmed up quite a bit. It's only about. 20 it's only about twenty below zero in the mornings now. So. Uh... <laughs> Um, uh, no, uh, honestly, I've been, uh, 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 I have a couple of projects in the works. I'm, uh, I'm writing a book and that's been a novel that's been taking up a lot of my time and, uh, I'm still slogging through the tail end of my Kickstarter, which, uh, was pretty successful, but, uh, so, sort of let me know how, uh, woefully inadequate my, my, my garage was for shipping things. <laughs> <laughs> this, this year I, I've kind of gone from doing my treating for device like a, a part time when I feel like a hobby thing to this, to this year trying to treat it like a real business. And, uh, it's been great and satisfying and I've had some small success with the Kickstarter, but man, I've hadn't had to upgrade like my storage and sorting and stocking stuff. So I've really been just any free minute I have, I'm slogging through that. Um, I have some painted rewards I had that I'm, I've been uh, painting some terrain pieces, trying to get my, uh, my chops back because I haven't painted anything since October. And, uh, it's, it's frustrating how rusty, how quickly one gets rusty. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I went and saw I went and saw King Kong. That was freaking great. That was everything I wanted. Oh, really? It was everything I wanted from a King Kong movie. It was a giant monkey throwing trees and punching helicopters and wrestling big lizard monsters. It was it was it was great. It was uh, the the the, the the mindless roller coaster of giant monsters wrestling that I wanted. So. <laughs> Cool. Well, who doesn't love a bit of that, you know? <laughs> That's good, because King Kong movies can be sometimes disappointing, can't they? You I hate of... it when you try and get a ridiculous concept to make it serious. It's like, come on, it's ridiculous, yeah. just make it fun. Yeah. You know, it's it's definitely not the sort of movie you go into and analyse, like, I don't feel like the structural integrity of of that, you know, tibia could handle the weight of ripping off a <laughs> rudder. Like, no, nah, man, just, just chill. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, we had that when we went to see Independence Day 2. It was like, we know this is just going to be utterly ridiculous alien... Well, the spaceship's like half the size of the Earth, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's just like, and we were not disappointed in the ridiculousness of the the whole thing, but it was good fun. Yeah, Yeah, no, exactly. (laughs) Okay, Daryl, what about you? I know Chesterfield's not quite as far north as as Alaska. No. Not quite as cold, but... It can't be. (laughs) I've had the dreaded man flu. 
uh, basically since last Friday. I'm just coming out the other end, so I've now got a tickly cough, which is really useful when you're trying to do a podcast. Um, <laughs> so I keep pausing and taking sips of water. Uh, works Raptors, I've got me battle cruisers last week. So, funny uh, enough, I don't think I've been painting since last year. Models, hmm. so I've got them painted this week, uh, which was satisfying, and I do enjoy a nice bit of painting. I played Chris's Aquans as well this week with my directorate. It went quite well for me, not so well for Chris. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he lose a dice? That was the other week, yes. He's got these really nice gold <laughs> dice and lost one under a shelf, and we had to stop playing until we found this dice. So. <laughs> no, he found so, it, and he'd rolled a six. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, mainly this week it's like I say, painting me battle cruisers. It's getting stock ready because I'm at a show um, this coming Saturday up in Teesside. So it's getting a lot of the stock ready for there to take to the show. So plus designing new stuff for the Iron Gulch range. So uh, been. Busy. Good stuff. Okay, that means it's now time for Hit or Miss. We start as we often do with Games Workshop and some of their recent releases. Now we've not had a look at Age of Sigmar for quite a while, so let's take a gander at these models, which are the Vanguard Raptor Collection. Now this is a couple of sets, both of Sigmarines, with different types of crossbows and a bunch of birds. Guys, you mentioned that you have 40k experience, so you know Games Workshop. What do we think of these crossbow guys? Do either of you play Age of Sigma? No. Nope. It looks like a space marine with a Spartan helmet holding a budgie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm pretty much there with Daryl. I, I, uh, I mean, there's no denying these sculptors have some skills. I mean, they're, they're beautifully sculpted models, but it's just not my style. They, they look like they're straight out of World of Warcraft. They don't look like Warhammer to me. Um, they look like video game yeah. characters, and if I want to play a video game, I'll play a video game. Um, I like the raptors. I think the, birds, I think the birds look pretty good. Yeah, that's actually a really good analogy. That I've was not, the, that I've not heard really that before, good. but yeah, they do look that that kind of almost CGI kind of yeah aesthetic, aesthetic, aren't they? Yeah. Well, a, a lot of a lot of digitally sculpted humans end up looking like you know video game characters to me at least, and it's just it's just not my not my aesthetic. It's a perfectly valid one, but it's not one that I'm into. That's fair enough. I don't like the aesthetic of these guys either, to be honest. No, I think, um, I mean, for me, as I say, I'm not a fantasy player. But if I was a fantasy player, this wouldn't be my style of fantasy. Especially when you've got guys here, I'm looking at a guy with a three-barreled crossbow. <laughs> you know, we do play D&D, so we do go for, you know, fantasy-type characters. And in that, they look like what they're supposed to look like, generally. And mm. you do have a wide range, but you don't have guys with this kind of thing which i mean from the side that looks just like a bolter yeah <laughs> so i mean it's one of the reasons we haven't looked at asia sigma for a bit i guess this isn't our thing is it no however as you mentioned alex the raptors other than the quite colorful sort of parrot-like paint job um, i quite like yeah the, the they look the, the as you say the parrot-like paint job makes them look like birds of paradise not like raptors to me and i i suppose yeah context of Age of Sigmar, it makes sense them to be brightly colored, but once again, that's just not my aesthetic. They look like, maybe I'm biased, because when I played World of Warcraft, I played Horde, so anything that looks like they'd be, you know, human team stuff, I'm like, ah, screw them. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't like the the very sort of ultra sculpted outer feathers as well. It just they look too artificial. Um, yeah, but and and it, yeah, the only thing I would say I mean, overall about the sculpts is they're nice, but once again, Games Workshop have sculpted almost because they can. It's the Jurassic Park thing, you know. They've sculpted these incredibly fine branches, which then have this cloth that's tied around the the uh, foot or leg of the raptor, which sort of dangles down just to touch the branch, which is a really nice, it looks great on screen. I don't know how long that would last before I caught it on something and broke it and then had to glue it or maybe pin it. And I just think they look like they'd be quite yeah. fragile for transporting, which is a real shame because they look... And packing away. Yeah, yeah. Because um, those wings are probably going to get caught, caught on the foam, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. I like that... Well, the, the other... The- I see with digitally sculpted with digitally sculpted organic forms is that they often end up looking digital rather than organic. Like those wings look like they're literally copied and flipped and pasted, um, or, or yeah. copied and mirrored. And uh, you know, real real wings don't look like that. Um, and that just sort of adds to the whole CGI effect look of them because those I mean those really do look copied, flipped, and pasted to me. Uh, just and, and it's just not my style. Oh my god! Uh, Age of Sigma have created a keyboard bird. actually yeah so we're looking at the 360 of the raptor by itself and uh if you you can actually look from above in the 360 and if you get it from above it does kind of look like a keyboard laid out if you painted those black yeah you could definitely get that (laughs) you could get that yeah yeah um one thing i do like about it is that it's just not overdone it's like very quite simple i mean they had to get the skull in there didn't they but um yes there is a skull on the base yes (laughs) they couldn't resist but other than that it's just a simply done tree and it's just and it looks good like that there's just not loads of stuff in your face like there's no loads of stuff on the bird's feathers like we saw with the eldar models yeah yeah you're right you get for that price then now, this is the, the other thing that we always come down to with Games Workshop, and at the end of the day, these are £45, mm. and you have six, as they're called, Aether Wings, because Games Workshop have to call everything something that's copyrightable, and you have six of the Sigmarines, three of each type of crossbow guy, so you're getting 12 figures for £45. Right. Yeah. Okay, so uh, <laughs> on that note, uh, Oscar, hit... I say leave that there. <laughs> Hit or miss. See, like, cause we've done so many of the, like, Sigmarine ones before, and they've all come out, we just don't like them. That has been the overall opinion of them, yeah. I think. But the birds are really nice. But because that's only half the box, and it's £45, yeah, I, I wouldn't buy it, so it'd probably be a miss from yeah. me. I, I have to, unfortunately, come down on that as well, because if the birds of the, if, what they call Aether Wings, were available by themselves, the fact they're fragile wouldn't deter me, because I'd probably actually rebase them entirely, or keep the bases, cut that cloth off, and just put a, a transparent rod into them. And you say, paint them a normal colour, and they'd probably look quite good. Yeah, definitely. Um, and for, for a reasonable price, that could be quite good. But you can't buy those by themselves, you have to buy them with the Sigmarine. So, £45 for me, it would be... Uh, Unfortunately, a miss. Stay on the shelf. Daryl? Definitely a miss. 
even if you could get the birds on their own. <laughs> <laughs> and Alaska Alex. Uh, a miss for me personally, certainly, I, I wouldn't buy it. Um, I suppose if you're really into the Age of Sigmar look and style, then it might be a hit for you, but a miss for me. I just The price and the style, it's just not my, not, not my jam. Okay, so, sorry, Games Workshop, uh, miss for your Vanguard Raptor collection. So, what's more interesting, however, in the Age of Sigmar realm is the recent sneak previews that Warhammer TV and the Warhammer community have been showing of the, and forgive me if I pronounce this incorrectly because again it's another copyrightable name, the Caradron Overlords. Now, if you basically want uh, squats in the, or as close as you're ever going to get to squats, in the Age of Sigmar universe, uh, this is what we have here. And they're a pretty interesting aesthetic. Guys, I don't know whether you've managed to see... (laughs) The full, they have a little YouTube video which goes on for, for some time. These are a pretty, well, I would say interesting aesthetic. Are these the ones with the airships? Yeah, they're sort of steampunk dwarves with mechanical airships, I guess is the the kindest way to put it. Just looking now at a model which I couldn't actually tell you what it was from looking at it. So you know what I said earlier <laughs> it looks, about stuff It looks being like simple. a tech marine, but a dwarf. Yeah. And like, he's fetished to hell. I was going to say, earlier, you know what I was saying about them overcomplicating stuff? Yeah. Uh, this is pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. This has caused a little bit of excitement in the Warhammer community. I wouldn't say it's all been positive. <laughs> but some people really like this. Some people hate it. Uh, which I think is really the Age of Sigmar aesthetic overall. I think you mentioned it, Alex. You know, it's like a Marmite thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it really is. But I like Marmite. Um, <laughs> whereas this, I don't think we have Marmite in Alaska. I've never. <laughs> we'll, we'll ship you some over. Hooray! <laughs> and you can either keep it or ship it back, depending on whether you love it or hate it. <laughs> but I guess for me, this is this is the issue with some of Games Workshops sculpts of late because as, as you mentioned Alex they've got some incredibly talented sculptors what they can create is undoubtedly very good the execution of it the actual physical production of the molds the plastic the way they engineer that is all top of the range mm-hmm. but what they actually create somehow it's like they don't know when to stop they create a model and they just keep adding and adding and adding I mean this guy has two shoulder pads over in a plate armour uh, it's, um... Oh, wait a second. On his, what would be his right shoulder, I thought that was his chest, like an armour plate, but it's his beard. Uh, yeah, I think it's yeah. a techno beard. But why is it made of metal or something? <laughs> I don't know. He's got a tusk. Is that a mask? Because his his eyes are actually sort of telescopes. Oh, he's looking that way. I say, I've only just noticed where his head is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... I mean, and this isn't an isolated model. Pretty much every single model in this range is this fetish, is this... Like, look how many telescopes his staff has. Yeah, Yeah, as if the two telescopes he has, one over each eye, counts (laughs) enough. And he has a... Well, is that a staff? I'm not sure how he would use it. But that has, what, one, two telescopes on it, plus one, two, three, four other lenses. It's just a very odd thing. I think it looks a mess... It's just, it's just a mess. I don't, it's oversculpted to hell. It just, if I was building like a steampunk, like Frankenstein's laboratory, uh, you know, 1930s pulp thing, I might want to buy him to chop off the pieces for bits for like making a lab. But I just, I, I, I don't get it. It's, it, I don't understand it. <laughs> you summed up perfectly when you said it was a mess, I think. Just. <laughs> It's a shame because the sort of steampunk dwarfs could be really cool if it was done properly. 
Yeah. Yeah, I um, I say I really don't know where Games Workshop are coming with with this type of aesthetic. I, I don't understand what the brief was. I'd love to have seen the original brief document that said what mm. they should create because I just can't fathom. <laughs> Either it was very, very large, <laughs> or very, very, or just very short. The guy just had some sort of aneurysm. I don't know. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's bad in all ways, and I haven't seen anything about the the, well, the paint jobs in bad. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So for me, the whole the whole sneak preview thing is is a big miss here. Is there any other models, or is this the only one that they show you? Uh, no, there's a there's a 32 minute video. So let's just put up here. We have uh, an airship, which is well, it's it's a ship with large balls on the top of it. Yeah. But I, <laughs> Look, they've I, put another keyboard at the bottom. And, and <laughs> it's the theme. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, the really new model has to look like, like a keyboard. <laughs> yeah. To, to me, once again, though, these don't look like Warhammer models. These look like gnomes from World of Warcraft. They, they look, or, or gnomes or goblins from World of Warcraft. It doesn't look Warhammery to me, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's lost its play with its aesthetics. Yeah, yeah. I think I'd agree. You're right because when I first saw these, I, I honestly thought they were a joke. I thought the YouTube video they just hijacked the Warhammer, Warhammer community symbol, mm. and I realised it wasn't. This is actually a Games Workshop production, and like you say, it just didn't seem to fit with the rest of the universe they've created. And I think if I was, if I had been a Warhammer player, and they'd you know done this very bold move of restarting the universe, which I think actually was a pretty clever thing to do if it'd been executed well, which it wasn't. Uh, but then they, well, the thing is, they created a completely different universe which didn't yeah. have anything in common with the old one. So all the people that loved the old one suddenly had this stuff. It's like, well, well they didn't have anything. This isn't what much. we want. Exactly. Yeah. I, th- I think a handful of the Sigmar, like their new Zinch stuff, is is stunning. Yes. Um, and and their other dwarves. At least to me, look kind of warhammery. But these Caradron over- overlords just—I I, don't—I don't get it. They look—they look like they're proportioned like ogrens. They're not proportioned like dwarves to me. Their legs are too long. Their torsos are too uh, are too slender relative to their shoulder width. I just, uh, yeah, not my jam. Yeah, we're looking at a group of. 10 models here, which they look like sort of slightly camp known pirates. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, they're holding little steampunk sort of pistols and blunderbusses, uh, and that one's got a, some, for some reason he's got a minigun. Yeah, and, and then axes and stuff. And, oh, yeah, but again, they're, like you say, the proportions aren't very dwarvish. It's just, I mean, the way he's standing just makes him look a bit silly, which I don't think is the effect that they, they intended. Not the hell are they? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, so now, now we have three guys w- with sort of balls, which I guess are balloons. And I was going to say, how do those balls make them fly? They're made of metal, surely. <laughs> which is lighter than air, obviously. <laughs> yes, sorry, I forgot that. <laughs> did, you, did you not listen what? in science? <laughs> oh, I said they're, they're full of steam, and steam rises, of course, so, you know, that's, that's how that works, right? <laughs> Oh, of um, course. If you trap yes. steam in a massive bronze casing. <laughs> yes, then it must be. Because steam engines, they have that problem. They have the same problem with my kettle. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, that's why the cordless ones are so difficult to keep contained in your kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's, for me, it's it's a huge, huge miss on, on these. Yeah, I, I'm going to agree. Uh, any disagreement, guys? I'm not going to. No. Big ol' miss. 
miss, but I think if they just toned the detail down a bit and not put as much on each model, could have been quite good, but I just think it's overdone. Definitely miss. Yeah, yeah. the over-fetishisation is, is really strange. Uh, and I'm sorry, Games Workshop, that was another miss from Age of Sigmar, if you didn't get that. Well, they're so, obviously not getting it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, in recent weeks we've had some quite I was going to say, the demons nice were really... As you said, Alex, the, the Sinch demons, we, we like those. They've done some really nice sculpts on that side. But then this, you know, I couldn't... It's like, so, oh my god, they're starting to get better. Oh no, they're yeah. not. <laughs> okay, imagine this scenario. I turn up to a tournament with my... I, and I say I've invested nine months of painting in my Siege army. I've got all the cool models there. And then somebody brings those guys against me. I just... It, under clashing aesthetics on the tabletop, I would just be like, I just fold because I don't want to play such an embarrassing army. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's you just like, I mean? have, just... You, have you brought this to the right game? Because it just doesn't yeah. look like you... Yeah, it's like somebody brought My Little Pony to Flames of War. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, for me... Those dwarves, like, I can imagine, said, like, if you had some wacky steampunk, I don't know, spelljammer kind of setting, like, maybe those dwarves would work in a different setting, but they just don't seem... And even from what I know of Age of Sigmar, they don't seem to fit in with the lore for Age of Sigmar, even. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe if I read the book, it would make sense. I don't know. I could imagine, if this was a Blood Bowl release, I could understand it. Because Blood Bowl knows it's silly. Yeah! Yeah, because it's, it's tongue-in-cheek, it's meant to be silly, you know. But this is... Something yeah. else. Anyway, <laughs> can we give it a double miss for that? Yeah, gone. <laughs> <laughs> so as we all know, Adepticon is happening right now, and Games Workshop have been talking about changes to the 40k game quite recently. <sighs> but let's not that distract us from what's been happening in plastic. Reboot Gulliman is back, and he comes together with Grandmaster Voldus and the Fallen Angel Cypher in the Triumvirate of the Primarch. Basically, you've got Reboot Gulliman, who is a pretty epically scaled model, because he is a Primarch, of course. He is in full Games Workshop display mode, so he is foot up on a rock, skulls on the base, the bits of his fallen enemies below him, big flaming sword, his iron halo, no helmet, of course, and... Lots and lots of fetishization on his armour. But he's a Primarch, so we'll, we'll forgive him that. Of course. And, of course, he's uh, got his backpack, which is like wings. And, uh, you know, he looks suitably epic. And his ultramarine friends have even put little braziers on the ground to just so that he can strike that dashing pose on the, on the hilltop. So, what do we think to uh, to this chap? <laughs> Any volunteers? <laughs> I like him. Um, it's it's impressive. It'd be a good center center point for your you know focal point for your army. I don't think he's overdone this. Well, he is overdone, but he's a prime mark. He can be. It's uh, the pose is a bit looks like he's posing for Kay's catalog, but <laughs> yeah, it, it does look. <laughs> you know, it's a bit static pose. But apart from that, the model itself. I think it's a lovely looking model. That'd be something I might even just buy just to paint. Yeah, it is a little bit like they finished the battle and it's like, right, okay, reboot. We didn't get you in the action, so could you just put your foot up on that rock and just, we just get, yeah, that's good, that's yeah. good, that's good. We're loving it. Just eighteen. Yeah. 
So I'd agree with that. But as you said, you know, he's fetish, but he's a Primarch, so you would expect him to be. Yeah. And they have, I mean, there are some nice features on the model. The painting's nice. The, the flame on his blade is even good, which... I was going to say, they've you know actually we... done plastic fire reasonably well. Yeah, we're, we're not a big fan of that. If it were me, I'd get rid of those stupid braziers, because what are they doing there? I think they actually detract from, from his pose there. Oh, I didn't even realise the rock he's standing on is the, an eagle's head from... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I may well, yeah, change that as well. But, I mean, the, the base you can go to town on or change as you wish. I think you're right, Daryl. I think um, it's the kind of model that people are going to buy just to paint yeah. and have as a display piece. I think, actually, it's not too bad. It hasn't made many of the cardinal sins that we've talked about in the past mm. uh, episodes of... It doesn't have a lot of sticking out bits, so you could reasonably expect to transport this model and have it arrive in one piece, if you get rid of the stupid braces. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Alaskan Alex? What, what's your take on Mr. Goodman? I, I think I'm on the same page with you guys. I, I, I like him. I, I, it's the first 40K, one of the first 40K models I've been tempted to buy in years. It's a, I agree with you about the braziers. I agree about the, all the filigree and fancy crap on his armor. He's a Primarch, so it, it's, it seems appropriate and works for him. Whereas on like a lot of regular guys, that level of detail just seems nonsensical to me. Uh, I do have a hard time figuring out his proportions. I kind of imagine him being curled up in a fetal position in the torso, and the arms and legs are robotic. <laughs> proportions in there. That dude, he looks like Dikembe Mutombo. Like he's you know twelve feet tall and weighs one hundred and ten pounds because he's like long and skinny. I just like the proportions seem weird to me, but it's it's a beautiful model, a great centerpiece. It's I think. I, I like him. I, I think you you have a good point about getting rid of the razors, though. I'd probably get rid of those flaming uh, flaming torches. Oscar, anything to add on? I was just about to say his head looks way too small in the model, but obviously I don't know. But it's the armor. Personally, I I don't particularly find any interest in this model, but I don't really know what the Primarchs are. I don't really go back that far to the models, but seems to me that you guys know what you're on about, so I'm just going to go with your opinion and say that he's good. Well, <laughs> the Primarchs are the, the originators of their chapters, so they are the example superhumans from which the rest of their chapters were cloned. Okay. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure somebody, somebody will correct me out there, I'm sure, but uh, that's my basic understanding, is they are the top bods. They are... Clones from the Emperor. They are seeds from the Emperor that have been formed. And the, the reasons that the rest of the, the armies are so bloody obsessed with getting all of these fancy trinkets on their armour and stuff. Yeah, and maybe, actually, that's why most Space Marines don't wear helmets, because he's setting the example, isn't it? You know, and <laughs> you obey chain of command. I would have liked to have seen him with a helmet. I would have. Uh, I don't know if that's an option. I don't know. Oh, it's not an option. I, I guess I sort of assumed there was a helmet in the kit somewhere, but maybe not. None of the pictures actually show him. Oh, no, there is. There is. All right. Okay. It's, it's a reasonably disappointing helmet, but because uh, it looks very standard, but, but still up. It's like it's prompt from the movies. Yeah. I do prefer it to the head. Plus, I have a, an easier time painting armor than faces, so. <laughs> I'll say that. The helmet, the helmet looks better, but it's just the same size as his head. Yeah. <laughs> well, heads aren't important to space marines. You don't need to armour them that much. Yeah. It's like a paper mache. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so moving on to the second of the, the triumvirate. What's this chap's name? Grandmaster Voldus. Now, I do admit I don't know the background to Grandmaster Voldus. So he looks like... I don't know whether he's... Is he a tech marine or a chaplain? He looks like a he looks chaplain. Like a grey knight. 
Wouldn't he have to be a yeah. chapter master? He's a grandmaster. I be the chapter master of the Grey Knights, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Or no, he's got the Inquisition. He's got the Inquisition symbol, so he's got to be a Grey Knight then, right? If that's the lore, I think. Is he the first one of the Inquisitions? Did he make the Inquisition of? Let's say he did. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a big bod in the Inquisition. I think that much is certain. So he has a large hammer. He's got Terminator armor. He's got a large very large book which looks like it weighs about 58 pounds so you've got about 10 uh, pages and then a smaller one with the inquisition symbol on he's not too fetished considering that he's a, a big bod and actually I mean to be honest I quite like this guy I think he's he's pretty nice I definitely do I even like the pose everything I think ow, this this is a lovely model I really really do like this one I was going to say I much prefer him uh, to the one we just looked at it just looks a lot more simple and that kind of just makes it look better. It just doesn't look too crowded. It just allows people to to look at the detail that's there already, kind of rather than be flooded by it. And it just makes the model so much more appealing. Yeah, yeah. I like his off-the-shoulder cape look as well. That's quite good. <laughs> I I neither strongly like nor strongly dislike him. I, I he just looks kind of like another generic space marine librarian type to me. I, I don't I, I don't hate him. I don't love him. I'm I'm meh. <laughs> Yeah, the the only thing I uh, I don't really like, and it may just be the painting on this, is his kind of skull cap thing because it makes him with his beard and those kind of couple of little I don't know what they are electronic warts or something on his forehead. Or service uh, studs, I think it's for every hundred years you get a stud. I think something like that. Ah, oh, right. Okay, but because it's brown, it sort of looks like those brown leather skull caps that old medieval peasants wear. So it gives. It just makes me think it's just like this old peasant guy. That's but that's just my weird imagination. I don't like the rock he's got. He's found a rock that you can put his staff and a rock on <laughs> and fit on. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean he he doesn't commit the sin. The designer restrained himself and maybe got a ticking off because there is no skull on the base here. That's because they put loads of skulls on him. Well, yeah, he does get. His, he's got his little three skull icon. There, skull. Yeah, he's got a fair few skulls actually on his armour, so perhaps he gets away from that. But he does have his foot up on a very small rock. <laughs> so he did just find that. But but overall, not a not an offensive miniature. Which leads us to the third of the triumvirate, and I'm not quite sure why he is included in this triumvirate, because if my 40k law doesn't uh, fail me, this is Cypher, the fallen angel, who I believe is near bad guy. Thought he was. I left that kind of like he's he's like a I don't know if they left that up to your imagination like sometimes they think he's bad sometimes they think he's good okay now and again there's there's a bit that puzzles me on, on this model because Cypher was I quite like Cypher when I was playing Space Marines yeah, he's got his two pistols he's super good with them um, he's got a plasma pistol and a standard bolt pistol which he has here he's sort of got a tattered cloak he looks kind of a little bit sneaky a bit evil the only thing that really detracts from this model for me is that he has this ridiculously large sword on his back which let's face it he couldn't ever hope to unsheath no you know just to draw and I think that's Part two, though, because isn't that? I think he's got like he's carrying Lionel Johnson's sword for him, but he doesn't actually ever wield it. I thought that was part of like his background story. Oh, is that right? That he's he's like carrying oh, okay. a sword relic that he never uses. Makes sense. Ah, in which case that makes sense. I quite like this guy. Yeah, nice, nice model again. I don't like all the swords, uh, the skulls. Sorry, that he's got on the sword. That kind of annoys me. Yeah. <laughs> 
But otherwise, like you said, with the tattered you, cloak and the pistols... You could always green good. stuff those in. Yeah, you could fill those that. in. I, tiny point, I don't like those two blobs on the plasma pistol, but again, personal thing. Beautiful paint job on the cloak, by the way. I know we're talking about the model of the paint job, but whoever painted that cloak, that is nice. That cloak is gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, yeah I do like it. I love the, the sort of stippled dirt on the, the edges of it. I think it really, really enhances the model. But it's, I mean, the cloak itself, the... And the way he's sort of moving to draw his pistol gives it a sense of movement, and that cloak really enhances that. So I really like the sculpt. Whoever sculpted this and that, that cloak, I think, has, has done a really good job. Very good. Yeah, I would agree with that, definitely. Yeah. Okay, so that's the, the final of the triumvirate. We do come to the slight sticking point now. We have three 28mm models, and fair point... We have a Primark who is a bit bigger, but this is £55 for the three models. So Games Workshop, obviously, we know them as being quite expensive. This is pushing my uh, personal limits of, of expense, because the second one, Lord, whatever his name was, uh, Lord Anonymous of the Inquisitors, is <laughs> a nice model, but you know I don't really desire him. I really like Cypher. Primark, I could I'd probably put on eBay. £55. It's a lot. Almost £20 a model. I think that's probably a little too rich for my tastes, however much I, I like Cypher. Uh, again, I would probably look for somebody selling them on eBay mm. in you know when it becomes less popular. So I'm not quite sure really where to call it as hit or miss for me. The models aren't bad. Uh, they're, they're more positive than they are bad. They're kind of sticking to their roots about how they designed them. They're not trying to do anything much new, you know, it seems to fit in with the backstory. There's no way in hell that I would ever buy this for the price <laughs> or just buy it. But um, actually, I'm going to give it a, a hit because it's more positive. And they've actually not done a bad job on this, I don't think. I agree with you, Arthur. Get rid of the price. Let's put the price aside. It's definitely a hit. I think the lovely models. I'd like to own them. And I'd like to paint them. I'd never pay fifty-five pound for them, but <laughs> you know, if it wasn't for the price, definitely I would get these models. Yeah, no, they're very nice. Okay, and Alex? Oh, I, I call it a miss. Um, I, I don't. I, I I think they're more good than bad as far as the quality of the models, but the combination of the price plus I don't like them enough to spend the money on them or to take up the shelf or storage space for them. I just, uh, I gotta call them a miss, but they're not, they're not, they're not bad. I, I kind of, I, I still kind of want the Primark, but uh, for 55, yeah, for, that's going to be like 75 bucks or something like that here in the U.S. and just no way. No, no, it's, it's okay. It's, it'll be $55 now, Brexit. It's, uh... <laughs> oh, <well. laughs> Hey, give us a give us a few. I think we I think we called a hold my beer moment on you guys recently. So uh, we're, we're, we're gonna, we'll see what happens. <laughs> okay, so I get casting vote then, which you is do. unfair. But you know, I, I'm going to come down on the side of a hit because I think the sculpts themselves aren't horrible, and some of them I, I cipher I particularly like. Yes, the price is expensive, but we're not into Space Marines. I think if you're into Space Marines, this is a Primark. You're only ever going to get one. You get a couple of other nice models, which you may or may not like, and you can probably have friends who do, but you probably will be if you're that into Space Marines. So I think these are aspirational. I think they're display pieces. Would you buy them for your regular gaming? I'm not so sure. But I think they're good enough to call a, call a hit and sort of ignore the price. But you're right, I would never myself personally ever buy them mm. um, uh, at that sort of value. Well, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt and give a hit for the triumvirate of the Primark. First hit for Games Workshop. 
Hey. So, just to put that into perspective somewhat, we're now going to move on to Mantic Games, and we have some new releases coming in April with their Warpath universe, which is kind of their take on Warhammer 40k. Let's you know, call a spade a spade. Now, they have two rather nifty two-player box sets, one priced at 49.99 and one at 99.99, which is quite a clever deal in terms of entry point strategy for them, because you can go with a regular two-player box set, or you can go whole ham and go for a 99.99 one, which is still a, a reasonable price for a two-player set with a kind of the amount of stuff you're getting. Bear in mind, we've just talked about £55 for three models. Now we're talking 49.99 for a two-player box set. So let's take a look at Operation Heracles two-player battle set. For Warpath, this release you get a whole bunch of their already established Dead Zone Universe guys, plus you get these Forge Fathers, who are kind of a bit like their version <laughs> of the Steampunk Dwarves we've been talking about earlier. You get a bunch of tokens, you get the rule book, you get some mission stuff, and you get about 35 models or so, including a, a vehicle. So it's, in terms of value... To the value proposition. Well, it's eleven times better than. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's you're getting a lot of stuff. This is a proper two-player box set. Enables you to just you know buy that and get straight into into playing. Contains all the dice and all that kind of stuff. So very different sort of proposition to what we've just been talking about. Now let's actually have a look at some of the plastic. You have two forces: the Forge Fathers, who I'm going to come to in a second, and then one of the Enforcement Protocol groups or Enforcement Protocol Group Heracles hence the, the name of the two-player battle set, which are these guys we've seen in Dead Zone before trying to contain the, the nasty uh, flood-type Yeah, aliens. so we actually have some of these miniatures. So we have some of these from Dead Zone. Uh, and yeah. they're, they're very nice, actually. They're very nice, with the proviso that they are made in one of the most hideous types of plastic available on the planet. Yeah, they are quite... Um, <laughs> but hopefully these are injection-moulded and not Restic, because Restic sucks big time. But, yeah, they're kind of Space Marine-y, with a bit more realistic proportions, slightly less armour. They do have some riot shieldy things here. The leader is kind of a... got the usual sort of cloak and energy sword and this kind of stuff. We've seen these before, as you say, in Dead Zone. Either of you two guys played Dead Zone or nope. um, seen these models before? Nope. I don't think so, no. They're very nice. They're they're gorgeous. I think they're really nice looking models. Great sci-fi trooper types, you know. Uh. Yeah, they also have some sort of more, I guess, imperial guard type guys. You know, regular troopers which have less armor. And a dog. And for some reason, a robot dog. Canine. <laughs> which is yeah, it's kind of like a, a legged version of canine with a massive gun on <laughs> him. Um, that looks odd. He doesn't work for me. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, uh, I actually hate that. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think the humans, the, the human troopers, they, they look a little weird. They look a little weird to me. There's something with their shoulder joints seems seems weird. I think it's the movement. They look weird. People don't run like that. Yeah, and the dogs, it's... It could be dancing. Not into it. <laughs> and this is, we've mentioned this with Mantic before, is, you know, Mantic have some great sort of value propositions in terms of, you know, two-player battle set of this, this sort of price with this sort of number of models is... You know, on the face of it, great value. But it's only great value if you've actually got stuff in there that you want. Yeah. And some of the sculpts for Mantic do seem to be a bit off. I mean, here we've got the troopers again. Not the regular troopers, the kind of enforcer guys with a bigger armour. And maybe it's because they've covered their shoulders. You know, these are definitely better poses. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I still think they're animated. It looks... They just look unnatural in the poses there to me. The second guy in from the right just... That, it just doesn't look right. I agree with you there. He looks like he's yeah, he looks kind of hop, skip, and jump. 
<laughs> yeah. So yeah, it does, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Then we go to the Forge Fathers, who are basically dwarves in space. And I must say, not a big fan. They look like Santarans to me. They don't look like dwarves. Or, I mean, this guy, the, the helmet on them makes them look somewhat piggy, I guess is the... Mm, I can see that. Yeah. It is pigs in space. Yeah. <laughs> and once you've seen that, you can never unsee it. <laughs> 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 Again, we, we said this with Kings of War with the Trident Realm. There's some good sculpts in there, but it's mm-hmm. not consistent. Then we have a well, it, it's kind of it is a vehicle. It's a single pig in space vehicle with four. Well, they could be agricultural implements or <laughs> it is just a milking machine. <laughs> It could be. It is wrong in so many ways. It looks like somebody has badly kit-bashed an old 40k kit. It looks like an orc thing. The guns are too big, the tracks are too small. It it kind of reminds me of the old thud gun. The thud gun, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is not a good model. I don't think there's anything more I can say about it than that. It, it, It looks dated. You know, even when Games Workshop were making this kind of stuff, it wouldn't have stood up to it, really. No. And things have moved on so much more. So we do get an exclusive Forge Father running man <laughs> who s- seems to be using a dustbin lid as a helmet uh, <laughs> and carrying some sort of... Lollipop. <laughs> it's a fab. Yeah. <laughs> the problem with, ex- with set exclusive models is they have to be really cool... So that you, you know, are motivated to buy the set to get the exclusive model. And that guy just seems, man, like, it's it's a trash can lid for a helmet, like you say, and he's got a weird yellow hammer. It, yeah, just not... Yeah. No, it's not doing so what it's meant to. If you do go the extra mile and decide to go for the Mega Battle set, you do get some extra models. We're now looking at the Forge Father Dreadnought. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's an it's a forty k Dreadnought, but it, it's not good. Are you guys familiar at all with the old Grendel Leviathan miniatures from? Uh, I think the game was called Leviathan. No, no. Uh, it was sort of the precursor to Cornopia. So imagine. Slightly less sophisticated Cronopia models, and that's what this big dwarf steam golem thing looks like to me. Yeah, well, actually, you know, you say steam golem, it does look more fantasy in some ways than those Caradron overlords that we saw before, doesn't it? You could probably swap the two, actually. Yeah, you've also got some jet bikes. See, they look, those look really cool. Yeah, uh, yeah, I quite like yeah, you see the jet. I like that. Yeah, yeah, because they look like what a jet. Uh, in fact, they look a bit like um, Star Wars jet bikes with armor on. Yeah. I was going to say, is anyone familiar with Destiny? The uh, speeders you get in that. Oh yeah, the PS4 game. Oh. Yeah, yeah. They look very similar to that. Yeah, so those are nice. Then they have a sort of dreadnought for the the human guys. It's shoulders, isn't it? They don't do shoulders oh. well. <laughs> You'd look really good in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, this has the tau problem of centre of gravity, doesn't it? One good push yes. on this thing, and it's going over. Plus, it seems to have klaxons on the side of it. I don't know what they're supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> again, not a fantastic sculpt. So, a real mixed bag, I would say, with these guys. Yeah. 
on both the sets. You get the same exclusive trash can helmet guy as the exclusive model. So I think this is a this is a great concept. It's a great value price point proposition. If you had models that you actually wanted, and I'm not sure these sets are, are producing that. What's our overall call then? I'm going miss. It's I think it's really good value, but there is literally nothing there that would make me want to buy it. No models that make me want to buy that. Yeah, I would agree completely. It's like the it, it makes me want to like it, but they're not. Yeah, they've got the the ideas right. The pricing is good. They've got oh. a whole kind of setup, but it's just yeah. it's yeah. The models let them down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for the ninety nine ninety nine set, you know, I'd look at it and see, ah, oh, those jetpacks are really cool. Oh, and that's the only thing that I'd want. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> do I want to pay £25 each for them? No. No, I don't. Yeah, the other stuff is just not stuff that, that I'd be interested in. Even as a faction, I wouldn't be interested in the Forge, Fa- Forge Fathers as an opposition set, so I would be looking to, you know, have somebody else who wanted that half of the set go halves on it. Yeah. But the set, side of the set that I would want doesn't have enough that I would like, you know, that um, Dreadnought thing. It, it's like, um, do you remember Ludwig, Daryl? Some weird German cartoon from the early 80s. Oh. It was an egg. And this looks like... Oh, my God. It was an egg that <laughs> arms and legs came yeah. out of, and it played the violin and did other weird stuff. This looks like Ludwig got into angry mode. <laughs> <laughs> So it's it's definitely a miss from me. Yeah, it's a miss. It's a miss here. It's uh, I, I uh, something that also mystifies me about this is that these box sets are usually lost leader. You know, so there's so I mean a, a lot of these big introductory box sets they're selling them at a really low profit margin or, or like almost a break even sometimes. So it makes me wonder. I, I'm totally unfamiliar with Mantic. I, I, I don't know anything about them, but. It just makes me wonder about the rest of their sets and the rest of their prices, because this is a great price for the volume, but I, I, I'm i 100% on board with you guys. Just nothing there that I want. Um, maybe if you're a hardcore gamer who doesn't care about your models, one of those guys who's happy using cardboard cutouts, or, or um, maybe to be for that person, but it's not for me, yeah. so it's a miss. And sorry, Mantic, we've given you a, a clean sweep of misses there for your, for your Warpath uh, universe. Now, Spartan Games has come under a lot of criticism from myself and others of late, and they've been crowing about Adepticon for some time as a major release point for the Firestorm Armada universe. Now, one of Daryl's Firestorm Armada companions is Mr. Ian Duff, who has been sent aboard a Gannet-class Terrakian transport to give Adepticon some gravity love, and he sought out the Spartan display to see what was there. Now, we've got a number of things uh, spotted, Firstly, models for some of the very long-neglected fleets of the Marauders. So uh, let's take these one at a time, and then we'll come on to the Leviathan. So first of all, for the Marauders, we have the Corsairs. Daryl, have you you perused the Corsairs recently? Yes. uh, I I mean, I do actually have some Corsairs back at home anyway, um, which I love. Uh, These models is just nice... Uh, the detail, I just think Spartan put on the models, it's a dry brush's dream. They're, they're beautiful to paint up. They're very quick to paint up. So, and there's nothing I actually dislike about them. The Outlaw class uh, frigates have put a little bit of weight on now, and they've kind of lost the curvature they used to have in the, the outer arms. What, what's your take on those? I like that they're bigger, because the other ones... 
kept were, naked. Yeah, they were fiddly, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, very fiddly. Um, so it's nice to put a bit of weight on. Matches me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Comes to us all, mate. Yeah, I like, no, I like the design. I don't think... They would look good alongside my other uh, figures that I have at home still, and you'd know they're from yeah. the same fleet. And how about the uh, the cruiser? The cruiser, to me, is pretty much as it was in the original. It's slightly changed in that they used to have a much longer bottom jaw than the, the top one. Yeah. Which I like that kind of slight asymmetry. It doesn't seem to have that quite in the same way. Uh, obviously, they've integrated the metal guns on the sides into into the body more, which is great because those were a fiddly pain in the ass. Yes. So, I mean, other than that, it looks pretty much identical to the, the original Cruiser to me. Yeah. And I understand the constraints a little bit of... Although the original the original one was resin, wasn't it? With uh, metal add-ons. So. Mm-hmm. I didn't get any of the Cruisers. I only got the, the frigates. The Corsair. Yeah, I do have a squadron of brigands. And these certainly, I mean, they won't look out of place, as you said. No. I'm slightly disappointed about the the lack of asymmetry, because I think that was a really nice feature. But otherwise, you know, they're, they're pretty solid. And then we do have a new ship for the Corsairs that we don't have any stats for, which is the gunship, which has a sort of a trio of spikes sort of fused in the middle. Kind of like the Terran Dreadnought. Mm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, sort of a triangular... Uh, shape to it. And then it's got some extra reinforcements. It's a bit broader, slightly larger. Otherwise, it's very much in keeping with the, the other ships. So how about you, Oscar? What's your take on the, the Corsairs? Well, I never really... We never really had the Corsairs. We didn't really do much with them. We never... But they look like nice models. There's, I can't say that I'm falling in love with them, but they're nice models. So I can see the appeal in them. I like the Cruiser uh, a lot. Okay. But, yeah, sorry. I, <laughs> no, it's fine. That's about all I've got on those. Okay. So next up we have the STL and the uh, the Opportunity Class Cruiser. I'm seeing them in red. White, like red dwarf style. <laughs> yeah, they look like, look like cargo ships to me. But, uh, I mean, just... Uh, I'm totally unfamiliar with this range, and look like... So far, they all look like nice spaceships. But to me, those don't, don't look like... I guess if they're troop carriers. I can see troop carriers. But they look more like non-combatant cargo ships to me, just as someone who's unfamiliar with the range or the setting. Which is a good thing, Alex, because the STL are the Syndicated Traders League. Ah, well. They are sort of weaponized trading ships. Perfect. So they are indeed sort of converted, you know, slightly weaponized carriers and cruisers. Um, and I think they fit that bill pretty well. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, to me... I agree. Bulky. Yeah, bulky, blocky. You know, they look functional. Yeah. They don't look fast. <laughs> you know, as you say... Daryl, they, they would be good in red dwarf colours. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, it, even in green, actually. Yeah, green would work. <laughs> like the pod, yeah. <laughs> so I think they fit quite well. Very well. And finally, from the Marauders, with something of a drum roll, because we have been waiting for these for a very long time, are the Pathogen. And we only have the Aureus-class frigates and the Chaga-class cruiser on these. I will reserve my comments to the end... Daryl, what's your take on these? I actually like it. I mean, I know a lot of people actually dislike these. I, I love them. Um, I, don't get me wrong. I did think at first, uh, when I saw the photo, they were for Aquans. Um, but I'm, I'm just trying to think of a paint scheme. See, I, I always judge my models on how they're going to look painted. Yeah. And this is going to be very greeny, orangey, earthy. It'd be nice if they've had some tendrils or something coming off more. But no, I mean, the actual 
models, like I say, once I realised they weren't Aquans, I think they're nice models. I think, I know a lot of people don't like what do you mean once you realise they weren't Aquins? <laughs> Dirty Aquins. Oscar, what about, what about you? Uh, I I don't like these little, the three little bits that hang off them. I think they look a bit plain because they like, there's no text. I don't know, they look a bit silly, I think. But I can't say I like the frigates so much, but I actually really like the main body of the, the cruiser, the way it's kind of got this, like, armour, armour like you'd have on a bug or something. Yeah. Uh it's kind of a mix for me, because parts of the model I really dislike, and parts of them I just think are really cool. Alex, as, as someone unfamiliar with the range, these are... What's your impression before I give you what they are? Uh, well, I, I really like them. Um, when I first saw them, I thought they looked like <laughs> conversion kits for like an Alien vs. Predator game, as there was some sort of like Pred-Alien hybrid, and they were the heads for the models. Um, but... But how are they like oh, yes. in spaceships with a non-human aesthetic? I like that they're upright. I think that's unusual. Um, I just think they're interesting, kind of cool models. I, I as, as you say, I don't, I'm totally unfamiliar with the range. I don't know the story or anything, but I think they're kind of cool. I must admit, I don't like them, and I don't like them for a number of reasons. One, I think, is they are quite derivative. These are very similar, and many people have mentioned it to the Mass Effect. Uh, uh, what are they called? Oh, I've been ruined forever. The yep. Reapers. Um, <laughs> also, the there are two other things I really don't like about them. As you said, those sort of tendrils, they're not even droopy off the back. They're sort of like weirdly, they're not almost limply hanging, but they're sort of slightly semi-rigid. I just don't know what they're for. They just don't do anything for the model. I think you could cut those off and it would improve the models in all respects. And the third part I don't like them is, you mentioned the upright aesthetic, Alex? Yeah. The upright aesthetic is is already taken by one of the other factions in the Firestorm universe, the Ralthosa, and the recent uh, upgrades they had were very like these ships. Mm. And to me, that's it doesn't gel with what they're supposed to be. So for me, they're really disappointing. I do like parts of the cruiser, but the, especially the spiny bit at the top, I think, again harks too much back to the Relthosa, so they look too much like that. And some of this texturing is a bit aquin, so they're kind of almost like a, a cross between those two. Other parts, you know, these, these front parts and these sort of spory bits are quite good, so I just think they could have done more with them. They almost look like they've been hurried, and I think after such a long time waiting for them, maybe they were always going to be slightly disappointing because they've been built yeah, up so that's much. True. Um, I mean, we've been waiting for these for about five years. Yeah, slightly, slightly disappointing, I must say, especially when the STL there in the background, uh, you know, fit their aesthetic and sort of lore so well. Yeah. So we'll we'll have to see. We'll have to see. I think with a good job on them, it will bring them to life. Yeah, and a pair of cutters to snip those tendrils. <laughs> <up>. um, <Yeah. laughs> okay, moving on to the very large model, the first Leviathan that we've seen, and here you see again. Uh, Alex, the, some of the vertical aesthetic, although this has a bit of a, a horizontal thing going on as well. We've been waiting for Leviathans in Firestorm Armada for seven years. That is a long time. Which is a ridiculously long time. And here is the first of them. And it's the Relthosa one, who, as many people will know, are one of my favourite factions. So again, I will reserve my comments till last. Um, Oscar, as you faced the Relthosa many times... Mm. Usually unsuccessfully. Oh, oh come on. <laughs> <laughs> We're not starting this again. <laughs> what, what do you think to this? Um, and this is a big, 
I was going to say, model. I like how big it is. So just to give, give others uh, some sort of context in looking at this, I appreciate our listeners can't, but... So we have a base here. There is a 40mm base here. So this is probably about a 100mm square base on this thing. So this is a big old chunk of resin. Uh, I like the way that the like main base has all these little bits in it like it's kind of sort of like a city inside this thing i like the fact that it's got all dimensions so it's not just long it's kind of like got the length to it and it goes up as well like ralphosa ships do i don't dislike it but i feel like they could have done a lot more with this model um yeah they could have it had the potential to be a lot better than they have made it but I, I'm not saying I dislike it, because there are aspects of this which I do well, really like. Ju- just on that point, then, I, I, I agree, because the front of this model is almost completely smooth, and... When, when have you... If you look at the Rothosa Dreadnought, for example, the panels, where are the yeah. Rothosa panels? They're none like a of, classic kind None of, of the other Rothosa ships have that, that sort of smooth aesthetic. Exactly. So. You, uh, you could have had the massive front broad, like cannons that Ralphosa ships always have. I mean, yeah, I know they're on the sides, but like you said, there's just it feels kind of rushed. And if you've been waiting seven years, can't you just wait a few more months to design something to the fullest kind of thing? I feel like I'm being quite harsh on it, though. Daryl, what do you take to the first reviving thing? I agree with the smoothness on the front. I'm not a big fan of the Ralphosa ships anyway mainly because they beat me. Um, (laughs) I don't dislike it, but I don't love it either. Um, I'm in between on it, on that one. Very in between. Like I said, I don't love it. It's not one ship that I think, oh, I've got to go out and buy that one. I was say, Alex, if you were coming into this game then and saw this ship, what would be your impressions? Would this be something you'd want to take home with you? You guys have Sesame Street in England? Yeah. You know those aliens? Uh, yip, 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 uh-huh, uh-huh. If you look at the middle part of it, with the little eye in the middle, the big mouth open, it looks like those yip, yip, yip aliens. But, but there's two arms raised up going, whoa! Um, oh, I'll see that now. And uh, uh, now we've seen it, we'll never be able to look at it the same way. <laughs> I, I don't I don't hate it. I don't love it. It just looks kind of, uh, it, it just, I can't unsee the Muppet in the middle. Um. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's. Uh, I can't speak as to whether it fits in with the aesthetic, but it's. I mean, it, and at its size, that's a that's a pretty large model. Like you're you're getting going up beyond miniatures yeah. into like you know toys or models at that point, and that's that's kind of cool. I think those it's great to have those big centerpiece models in the middle of your board, but uh, uh, yeah, but I, I don't feel really strongly about it one way or the other. Yeah, so a couple of points there. So one, I I hate the smoothness of it, and one of the reasons I hate the smoothness of it is because it looks very much like, for you, Alex, the, for our viewers out there who don't play Firestorm and Planetfall, in Planetfall there is a model for the, the rent system Navy, which is a command centre, an orbital drop command centre, and this model looks quite similar to that. It just, not quite similar, but it gives that impression, that feel, and they're quite smooth. So it, it feels oh. almost... Also, talking about another model, do you know what I've just realised? The front of that ship kind of reminds me of um, the Drop Fleet uh, Directorate, like, dropship. If you know what I mean? Planetfall. Planetfall, sorry. Yeah. Like, the big mother ship kind of thing. Yeah. Like you said, it just it, it just feels too rushed kind of thing. It's like they haven't really looked at the other designs... 
Oh, uh, yeah, and the the other part to me is, like you say, it's, it's a very large piece of resin. It sits there as a display piece. I want it, A, to be gorgeous. B, this is going to be a fairly expensive piece of resin, because mm. because it is a big piece of it's resin. Piece of resin. <laughs> so it needs to... It needs to do more than just be. I mean, these these probably aren't going to be ships in game that you're going to be able to do, do you know a lot with. They're going to be leviathans. They're going to be centerpieces. They'll aid other ships and stuff. But they're probably not going to be zooming around, blasting everything. So why am I going to spend the money on it if I want a display piece or if I want something to look gorgeous? You know, fill those. So does it do that? For me, it doesn't. I don't. I don't want that. You know, and I've wanted a Balthazar Leviathan for forever. I know it's really upsetting. So, yeah. So we shall see. These are prototypes, I believe. So maybe they'll get some feedback and actually change some of mm. these. So I don't think we we should judge them at the moment. We should so that they change them. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a mixed bag. I think it's a mixed bag. Let's very quickly uh, finish up on a couple of well, a couple of things from Fancy Flight. So Fancy Flight have announced Wave Eleven, which is just three ships. They have the Wookie, if I can say this properly, Azituk gunship, the Skurg H six bomber, and the Tie Aggressor. Do you guys play X Wing at all? Daryl, you mentioned you've uh, you've dabbled. Uh, I played once. Um, it was a enjoyable game, uh, so I did enjoy it. It is a game I am actually thinking of buying um, to game with my my eldest son. Um, he is asking me uh, to get this so so he can game. Obviously, he won't buy it yeah. himself, so. Of course not. No. They're leeches, Daryl. They're <laughs> leeches. But, uh, <laughs> what else are parents for? Come on. <laughs> I know it's got a very big following. Um, it's very well liked, I think. So I haven't heard many bad things, if any, actually. I can't think of any bad things that I've heard about the game. I suppose it's just whether you like it or not, really. It's his yeah. style or not. I mean, I... it's it's a very pick-up-and-play. It's quite a life. I mean, I've said before, I find it quite a... It's a nice game to just put down and play. It's quite fluffy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very cinematic. Compared to Firestorm, which is quite gritty, it's got a lot of depth and you need to commit to it. Fire, um, X-Wing doesn't have that depth. This is yeah. just fun. It's very cinematic. You can imagine it in the film. You, yeah. you can really imagine it happening. And it's just fun. I really enjoy it as well. I mean, in, in terms of the ships, I, I've i never seen the, the Wookiee gunship. I actually um, really like it. Really? Yeah. Oh, I hate that thing. Well, fair enough. <laughs> Uh, but one of the things, actually, I think that's good about X-Wing is because you don't have to choose particularly a faction. You can just choose ships. That you like. Hmm. You don't have... You know, it doesn't matter that that is... You know, that I hate that because I will never play it. Um, but you can pick it up and it's, what, it'll be £10 or something. £12. Hmm. So I really, really like the... Yeah, that is cool. Uh, the Skirk H6 Bomber. Yeah, that's kind of a cool ship. Tie Aggressor is Imperial, <laughs> so it is good, obviously. <laughs> Because it's the closest thing to the directorate. Yeah. I, I can't say um, I, I think it's a great design. It's like an unfinished bomber. It's, it's like an unfinished tie advance, isn't it? Yeah. But people won't buy it for that. People will buy it for what the stats are on the cards. Uh, is, it's just the cards. Basically, yeah, answering is which, the cards. Which is the <laughs> other slightly negative thing I find about the game. Um, but all in all, I think um, this is, as Fantasy Flight does mostly, You know, it's a slick release. They've got good ships. Well presented. Yeah, I mean, it, it will be a hit, whether we think it will be or not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but overall, I think it is a hit, because I think you know one out of 
three ships that I don't particularly like is... But I like it's it. It's pretty so good. You like it. So. <laughs> can't cancel each other out. Daryl, what's your take? Yeah, I like it. Um, I, I've never seen these ships, like I say. I like watching the Star Wars movies, but I don't go into that much depth where I know what these ships are. But yeah, yeah, I like it. They look, they look nice, and like you say, you know it's going to be a hit no matter what. Yeah, I'm about on the same page as Daryl. I, I think they're they're fine. They're Star Wars fans are going to love them. People who play the game are going to love it. It's a very popular game. I have friends who play it, and um, I'm I'm sure it'll be a hit. Okay, so it's a pretty pretty obvious hit there for fancy flight games. Thanks for hit or miss. That's the new releases we're going to look at this time. Let's move on to the main topic for today's episode. And that is really about starting a company in the gaming industry. Now, there are a bewildering amount of possibilities out there, and it's never been easier to turn a good idea into a product. But that's only the tip of the iceberg. Now, working two jobs, or taking the even bigger step of giving up on the day job to work in the industry full-time, is a pretty big commitment. And while it seems like a, a dream job to work in this industry... Let's have a look at if it's really what it's cracked up to be and, you know, look at some of the, the highs and lows of that whole experience. So let's turn to our guests for some answers. So, Alex, perhaps you can start us with how and why you started Forge of Ice. Oh, man, it's a uh, I've I've uh, I thought about that a little bit. And it's tough to pinpoint the moment I decided that I wanted to start Forge of Ice specifically. I've, I I did a lot of role playing games when I was younger, and, and I've always written a certain amount of a certain amount of material for my own games, my own background, dungeons, maps. You know, I, I love drawing maps. Uh, and with my miniature stuff, I was a big converter. I was always uh, I, I think probably the most fun I've ever had playing miniatures games was my buddies and I did a just wacky, crazy. Realm of Chaos campaign where we used the, the, the mutations out of the Realm of Chaos books and every week we converted and rolled up new mutations and made new models and it was just, just, I had just such a blast with that. So I've, I've always been into making my own stuff to a certain extent. Um, but I think for starting Forge of Ice, it was a, a couple of things came together at the same time. I think earlier I mentioned I, I sort of had this epiphany where I'm like, wait a minute, I'm an adult. I can make my own miniatures. Uh, but I had sort of the idea of having a miniature made at some point years ago where uh, a, a forum I was on, they talked about everyone on the forum chipping together, chipping in some money, and uh, getting like a mascot miniature made for the forum. And that was the moment I realized that with the internet, you can just email a lot of sculptors. And if you have money, most sculptors will sculpt something for you. Um, so some of my friends and I here in, here in uh, Fairbanks, we talked about having a, a necromancer made or some sort of ice thing for Alaska. And then I went to Gen Con for the first time in 2006. I flew the, you know, the 4,000 miles down there. And uh, I met a bunch of people that I had only known through the internet before and just sort of realized that people who works in the games industry are just regular people. And a lot of them work out of their houses or out of their workshops in their garage. And I guess in my head, I sort of built up this idea that they all had, you know, factories and offices and stuff, which is totally unrealistic. But <laughs> being as isolated as I am up here, I just I think I built it up in my head to be something I wasn't. And so when I came back from Gen Con in 2000, uh, 2006, I was like, okay, I, I, I can do this. And so I started out by making miniatures that I just kind of always wanted to see. I, I had a set of peacocks made and a miniature that's totally a ripoff of a Cronopia miniature because Cronopia was my favorite miniatures game for a long time. And uh, 
I had some sort of fan sculpts made for War Gods of Egyptus because the War Gods is is still my favorite miniatures game. And uh, I spent a lot of I spent a couple of years just sort of being unfocused. Where like if uh, I saw a sculptor on a forum, some you know a uh, a fan say, "Hey, look, I sculpted this thing," and uh, I think it was a guy named uh, Kakik Karib on the miniatures page sculpted these really cool caveman like animal hide tents. And uh, I said, you know, and uh, there was a great deal of commentary on the thread about it. Everyone said, oh, you should have those made. You should cast those up. And that was sort of the moment where I was like, wait a minute, I'll do it. Like, I'll buy them. I'll cast them up. And so I contacted a caster and I had them made. And uh, that was sort of when I started started it more seriously as like, let, let me do this. And that was... Uh, Oh gosh, about about eight years ago. And you still have those available today, right? I do. I, I actually it took me about five years to sell out of them, um, but I I, uh, I I recently people have been asking about them, so I recently ordered a restock. And um, uh, Valiant, uh, the casting company Valiant Enterprises, still had the molds. So they they hung on to them for all those years of silence for me. <laughs> and uh, they I, I I'm actually looking at the box right now. I can see it's about um, uh, six feet off to the right of me, and so I have a uh, I have those back in stock now. And um, what I, it took me a few years to really figure out what exactly it was that I wanted to do. Um, uh, I love Edgar Rice Burroughs and the worlds that, uh, you know, Pellucidar and Tarzan and, uh, you know, Barsoom. And uh, I grew up reading, you know, the Conan the Barbarian stories and uh, Arthur Conan Doyle's Lost World. I love Lost Worlds as a genre and as a setting. And I also feel like they've been a little bit underserved with tabletop wargaming and even with role-playing games. You've got the Hollow Earth and of course now uh, Frostgrave has the Lost Archipelago coming out, you know, very soon. But uh, uh, it's I think it's a great it's a great trope that you can fit into anywhere. You know, Marvel Comics has the Savage Land, DC Comics has Dinosaur Island. You know, you can, it can be an alternate dimension or time travel or an alien or you know Carson's Venus. Uh, you know, almost. Uh, almost any setting you can shoehorn a lost world in there. You know, King Kong being, of course, the, the, the granddaddy of the genre for a lot of people. And, uh, so, uh, this year I am, uh, I am currently self-employed and I'm taking a year to basically run up my credit card bills and see if I can make a, make a living doing this as a job. And, uh, I, I started off last October by running a Kickstarter that I've been meaning to run for quite a few years now. I just was, I don't know. Procrastinating, I was scared. Uh, didn't didn't think I was ready, and uh, I, I had some some pretty decent success. With the Kickstarter made uh, made a little over nine thousand dollars with that, and that was a pretty good start to my year. Um, I have a couple of non gaming projects in the works too. Like I said, I'm writing a book, and uh, I, I've been writing a web comic for a couple of years, and we've we've got that in print now. And uh, so this year, I'm gonna I have two more Kickstarters planned. Uh, my next one I hope to launch in late April. Um, it's called The Eye of the Cyclops, and I've got a whole little Cyclops cult that I'm planning. And then this fall, uh, I have a, a third one, which will be the Occluded Court of Zoral. And if those two go well, then after that, it'll be a big box set for my campaign settings, for which is uh, my whole lost world. And uh, the pipe dream is to have the campaign setting have, like, a, a big gazetteer, like a book of the world, and an actual game campaign, which will sort of be a, a hybrid role-playing game slash miniature Storyline that people can play through, and a few miniatures, some 
assemblable cardstock buildings. And if I can really, you know, go, go hog wild, pipe dreamy of a big cloth fold out map because I love the cloth fold out maps that used to come with books like, uh, an Ultima and King's Quest. I had the big fold out cloth maps on my wall when I was a kid and I want to make one. So. <laughs> Sounds like a good reason. <laughs> that's, that's that's sort of my plan. We'll see. We'll see how the rest of the year year goes. I'm I'm I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, and Daryl, I know you've took, taken the plunge relatively recently into this field. So yes, tell us about what actually made you start Laser Cut Architect. Well, unlike Alex, I actually I know exactly when it was I decided. Uh, going through Facebook, and I was looking at some miniatures, and I'd been making scenery for years it's one of my passions uh not just the army but i was fluff scenery and all that lot and i was been making out a phone board for years and i saw some stuff uh of another company on the web and i thought i can do that there's no reason i cannot do that so for the first on and off i sort of bought a laser cutter started making what's now known as the, like the metropolis range and due to my game in then I was just doing 10 millimeter 10 15 millimeter buildings uh, for the metropolis but it got to a point with my other proper job at the time on my days off I was spending all time at laser cut and I wasn't growing so luckily I've got a very very understanding wife um, who let me finish my full-time job uh, we've sort of got six months to try and get this built to ensure we're paying bills and everything. So and I, I know how lucky I am. I mean, both kids are old enough now where they've both got jobs and looking after themselves. So it is just me and the wife, but still very understanding wife. Let me do it. Uh, officially started up sort of January, uh, which is when we started bringing out other ranges. Uh, it's people say you live in the dream. Uh, yes, you are. I am doing a job, excuse me, it's this bad flu. I'm doing a job where I enjoy. It's you wake up in the morning, I'm going downstairs having a coffee, I go first hour looking through all your emails. The thing I found, I don't know as much with Alex, my main passion was obviously designing, and I'd love, I could spend all day just designing models, but it's all the other side. You have to wear so many different caps that you don't get as much time doing the designing, the bit that you love, as much as what you'd like to do. Um, but you see, you've got the pressures. I've got to make sure it works. Um, I mean, the range is now, I've got a, a nice Iron Gulch range, which is like a westerny sci-fi look to it, some fancy buildings. Uh, and I was mainly doing 10, 15 mil until I did my first show, trade show. And the amount of people that come and looked at him and says, oh, can you do that in 28 mil? Can you, you know, I'd love that in 28 millimeter. And I realized, obviously, I've got to expand. So a lot of Mr. Uh, last two months is everything that I'd previously done. I've scaled up, made it into 28 millimeter, which is going well. Uh, I also do a lot of accessories for the game. We do a nice book that when you open it up, it holds all your tokens and that, which is going really well. Um, and like I say, it's just the hardest bit from a new business point of view is just trying to get your name out there and trying to get mm -hmm. people. And, and the scary thing is 
when you, especially when you see people, it's like, will they like it? You've designed it, you've yeah. put your heart and your soul into each model. And to be fair, I've had, um, I don't know how Alex, but you get a lot of good feedback and it pushes you forward. You know what I mean? It, mm. it drives you on when people say good things and they, you find people like it as much as you do because you are a bit biased. So, but it's scary because you don't have a regular income, but I'm, I'm optimistic. I always have been, as you know. It's, um, it's just like I say, I've just got to push it and try and get the name out there and hopefully you get to a point where you're earning enough, where your bills are happy, you know, bills are paid, your wife's happy, which is very important. And, <laughs> uh, and it's one of those, you're more scared of it not succeeding because you are so happy in what you do. Um, so it's, uh, absolutely love it. It's, uh, it, it is living the dream to a, to a degree. But like I said, the, the downside is you have to wear so many different caps that you don't do what you, you know, the design inside as much as what you do. You've got to be an accountant. You've got to put it out there. I've, I'm having, to, I've learned more about how to deal with a computer and Facebook and everything in the last two months than I have since the rest of my life. So it's, uh, and also great friends out there. As in yourself um, and other people, there's Dan, there's Ian, there's Gareth. They, they push you and they, they try to help you as much as they can and they get your name out there. So it's uh, it's an uncertain six months and it is a scary six months, but it is very, very enjoyable. And any, I'd say to anybody who's thinking of doing it, as long as you know you can afford it, go for it. Otherwise, you spend the rest of your life thinking, what if? Yeah. Excellent. So yeah. you mentioned a couple of things there. In fact, both of you touched on several points. Don't you mentioned you know the hardest bit is is having to wear all these these other caps. So yeah, how do you balance that between you know designing new models, fulfilling sort of custom requests, answering emails and things, and then doing the kind of uh, if you like all of the other stuff, the financials and the legal bits and the advertising and wall charts. They're a godsend. Um, got a wall chart uh, basically. Each day, I write in each, you know, whatever day or a diary. You write down it's what you want to fulfill. I mean, you get a pattern going. I don't know about Alex, but I sort of get up in the morning, coffee, first hour of the day, Facebook, post on Facebook, read your emails. Any orders that you come in, I will then produce all the, you know, the stock, everything, get posted out to them. Afternoons, I find, is more design work where I do a lot of the designing still. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm actually down visiting family at Gloucester, and even while I'm down here, I'm designing. I've got my pen, my pad and my pen, and I'm scribbling away, doing designs, having ideas on my laptop, designing something new for my Gulch range. So you never, you never stop working. I don't know about Alex, if he actually puts time aside to to relax but i find you never switch off yeah no i i i i feel that there for, for me the the it's really weird like separating work from life because i yeah. i kind of i've kind of turned into a recluse like i just stay home all the time so i'm not out spending money i'm, I'm at home but but you get this weird anxiety and I've, I've read about like working from home and it's it's certainly proved true for me is you get this like anxiety like if i'm ever at home and I'm not working, I feel like I should be. Like, 
Uh, last night I watched I watched The Flash and it was great. But the whole time I watched The Flash, like during the commercials, I'm like, got my sketchbook and I'm sketching designs because I feel like I feel I feel and I'm I'm still trying to figure out that work life separation. It's like right right now uh, I have. Um, uh, you know, little uh, little work trays of casting spread all over my living room floor that I kind of have to step over to get from the computer here to my door because uh, I need to. I, I still have stuff I have to pack, and uh, and I've I've kind of been doing things backwards. Uh, like I am a super low tech guy. I I have never been. Uh, I had some friends convince me to start an Instagram page uh, a while ago, and that's actually been successful. Like I I get sales from my Instagram page. Um, which surprised me, but I've kept up with that. But like, I, I still don't have a website. I have, uh, I've been selling stuff through forums and through my Facebook page. And, uh, before I start my next Kickstarter, I need to get a, a an actual real website so that people can buy stuff through. Um, uh, that's, that's important. And I know it's important. I just, uh, I've been just barely old enough to remember the days of ordering miniatures from catalogs where to be like, <laughs> A typewritten list of stock numbers and descriptions, and maybe if you're lucky, some line art. Yeah. So to me, ordering, ordering miniatures via email is like I don't have a problem doing it. So I'm like, well, why would anyone else have a problem doing it? <laughs> but of course, lots of people do. So I, I know I need to get on that. Um, uh, I think it's. I mean, I've got a room that I literally when you go in, you're at work, and I think just having that room where you can switch on, switch off helps uh, you sort of you go in you know you're there you're working you're designing i'm cutting things out but when i leave the room if i go you know spend time with the wife in the afternoon we go for walks and I, I do try i think it's important you do have to sometimes switch off yeah so yeah it doesn't it like you say you don't 100 percent. even when we're going around town and if we start having a coffee the wife will say, what are you doing? I said, I've just had looking at this great up here and I've just thought, how can I make that for one of my buildings? And you never, you, you, you never do 100% switch yeah. off. I think that the separation is important. Yeah. I mean, I've worked from home. In our industry, they call it field-based, which means you work from home and then you're, you're remote visiting customers and stuff yeah. for, well, forever. You know, it's all I've ever done, really. I've never worked in an office, as it as it were, or been based in an office. And you're right, it's it's important to get the, the separation because otherwise, otherwise there is no separation. And I, I was very bad at it. Sort of 10 years ago, I had just have my laptop in the evenings and stuff and I'd be working and there was no real separation and I think what Daryl said you know having a room where it's this is work yeah uh, and I actually used to rent a unit so I used to go to work mm. even though it was yeah. you know my unit <laughs> and that was work um, and then there was a real separation and then I could leave it and some of the stuff I needed to do some of my work was there so I knew that if I left it I couldn't bring that home with me you know <laughs> and I appreciate it's not the same but I still think, you know, having those sort of boundaries is important for sort of long-term balance if you yeah. if uh, you want to keep sane. I'll just say, and a, and a successful marriage. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> for me, I find, like, putting a label on it seems to help. If I, like, wake up and say, okay, today I'm going to work. Or, like, if I'm talking to a friend or somebody, I say, okay, no, i got to go to work. And then I, I, I go downstairs and I start typing or, or drawing or sorting orders or whatever it is that I'm doing that day. And but just describing it as no, or or even mentally thinking of it as no, I'm going to work right now. No, I'm done working for the day, and just seeming to like put that label on it seems to seems to help yeah. put that sort of line, that demarcation. Like no, I'm not like no. Now I'm home. Now I'm on the couch. I'm gonna 
watch some dumb TV shows or, or whatever it is that I'm doing. So uh, I, th- I think the description seems to help. Yeah. The other thing I found as well with starting your own business, it's like you said, the, the biggest thing, the biggest shock for me was the amount of different caps you got to wear. Um, even yeah. down to the point designing the packaging. Because uh, obviously we've got a web page and you're like, after you've designed it and made it, normally what I used to do was go on to the next project. Whereas now you're having to take photos, <laughs> you're having to put it on your web page, you're having to descriptions, work out prices, you're having to then make assembly instructions. It's little yeah. things like that that nobody sees the behind the scenes, but yeah. it it takes you away from the reason I actually started the job. So uh, don't get me wrong, I love it. It's, it's it's the best thing I've ever tried. So although you've got sort of a big bulk of stuff there that you're doing, which is not what you envisage, you don't see that as overall detracting from, from doing it in the first place? No. Um, I, th- I think the best way I can put it, my cousin said to me, when it's fun, it's not work. Or when if you enjoy doing it, it's not work. Yeah. And it's not. It doesn't feel like I've done a day's work. You actually go to bed feeling guilty because you laid in bed. <laughs> all I've done today is designed this building and made it up and I've painted it. And I've played about with toy scenery. And I'm earning money through this. You know what I mean? It's And you can feel guilty that it's not a proper job. But I think that's the hardest thing. Once you realise this is a proper job and you have got to make money as well as doing something that you enjoy, you suddenly realize just how lucky you are. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll second that. For, for me, coming off of doing this like part-time, like releasing one or two miniatures a year, like, oh, this would be cool, this would be fun, over the last few years, to like this year saying, no, I, I like my stuff's been pretty well received, people seem to like it, and uh, I, I, I had never lost money on anything. It, it took me a while to turn a profit on some things, I mean, years in some cases, but... Uh, uh, I, it's it's it certainly gave me the confidence to say, all right, well let's 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 try treating this like a real business. And as you say, like the wearing different hats, like certainly some parts are more fun than others. Like I, I'm never happier than when I'm, you know, writing out like you know what what does the religion of the ape men look like? Let's let's talk about their their lore and their belief systems and how, how does this work into the background of the setting? Like that that to me is the fun part. Or, or sketching out new shield designs, like that's that's the fun part. But the uh, you know, packing and mailing orders like, you know, what did you do today? Well, I spent three hours straightening bent spears. You know, it, it's a little tedious, but it's still like, <laughs> like I have dug ditches. I've worked construction. I was in the Air Force. I've, I've, you know, worked as in welding gear, like, you know, like spending four hours sitting on my couch, straightening bent spears while I got the radio on. You know, that's, that's not, that, that's a, that's not the same as digging ditches. It's it's pretty it's pretty good at the end no. of the day. It's all right. It's not what you chose to do, but it's better than breaking rocks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is all sounding pretty sweet then. So what are the downsides that you found in actually getting into the business and then, you know, other moments where you just think, Oh no. For me it would be it's the uncertainty. Um obviously I didn't just start doing this part time, I finished my main job. This has got to work or else, you know, we're not getting any money in. Um, and it's that pressure that that sort of puts on to you that it has to work. Um, I don't know how Alex, I mean, Alex, is, did you say you're giving yourself sort of 12 months to 
I'm giving myself a year. I've got some. I had some savings, and the Kickstarter gave me a little bit of an nest egg, and I've got some credit cards, yeah. and uh, we're gonna give it a go for a year. We'll see how, see what happens. And failing that, yeah. I've uh, I've uh, uh, I've got some things I can start doing pretty much immediately if things go wrong here. So yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's it, you got that backup. Well, I say I've got a backup, but it's like I really hope this takes off, and that like say at the end of the day, you can afford to to run it properly because it's like you say, it's your dream job. It's, mm-hmm. I cannot think of a job I would rather be doing even with all the different hats on than this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also a really, um, a really good piece of advice. Somebody once gave me who had their own business said, the thing is most people have, you know, if you call a regular job, you know, a steady job, he said the only thing is the only security you have is your notice period. Yeah. He said because you've no idea what's happening in that business. Tomorrow they could decide, actually, we're going to close this entire division. So you have your notice period and then you've got to find another job. You've got to find something else to do. So the thing is when you own your own business, you should be able to see it coming. You know the health of your business. You know when it's going to happen, and so you're in control of that. So you can you can make decisions about okay, it's not going to work out. We've got two months. We're going to stop doing this, and I'll go look for a regular job, or I'm going to keep on doing this. We're going to do this and this, and we'll invest elsewhere, and you know make it work that way. He said, but it's in your control. You can see it coming. Whereas working for another company, you don't. So actually, it's an illusion of safety yeah. when you're working a regular job. Which, which might be bad news for the great majority of our <laughs> listeners if you've got a regular job. Um, but it is somewhat the harsh reality of the world. That actually, and at the time, we, we kind of started a, a small business together doing other stuff only part-time. But really, it gave me the impetus to say, you know, you're right. And I think to Alex's comment, you know, I'm an adult. And actually, it's remarkably easy to start a business, you know, because basically you just go to company's house and say, I've got a business now. And they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of, you know, then you just start selling stuff and then you pay your taxes on it and all that kind of stuff. But it's kind of almost conceptual. You know, it's, I guess my father was, you know, my father was a plumber. So it's kind of like working class background of, well, people don't start their own jobs. You know, you work for somebody yes. else. And that's purely psychological. Yeah, I, I get, totally agree. Yeah, I, I, I agree too. I, I get imposter syndrome pretty bad where like you, 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 <laughs> You've got to be, at least for me, I've had to really rein in, like, part, I, I felt a little bad that I was so unfamiliar with these other people's stuff, but, like, I, I, if I'm having a bad day, I could spend all day looking at other people's stuff and feeling like my stuff isn't good enough. And, uh, like, oh, what, what, why even try? Like, oh, look at these amazing, beautiful things coming out from Dark Sword or from, oh, gosh, you know, like, I, I have a big chunk of friends at Adepticon right now, and I have a big chunk of friends at GaryCon right now. And I'm I'm feeling very envious that I'm not there, but at the same time I went to Gen Con last summer and I just walked around the booths just feeling worse and worse and worse, like, oh, but my stuff's not as good as this. Like, oh, Kingdom Death Kickstarter made $4 million? Like, what am I doing? Like, this is, you know, I should just give up. And it's, 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 you, you gotta, you gotta stop. So I, I had to stop and so I don't look at other people's stuff hardly at all anymore. You don't want their dirty money, Alex. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we, we did Kingdom Death last time. That's horrible. Like, I, make my, I make my own fair share of half-naked Tarzan, you know, Lost World women, and uh, but but you know, uh, <laughs> you don't you don't chop mine up into body parts and use them to build backpacks. So uh, I yeah, I've got that. Going. <laughs> I agree with Alex on that. It's I mean I don't 
look at other people's stuff as much, you know, a lot if I can help it. Because I'll, I'll try and make my make sure my stuff's original and my style. Um, and I don't want to look at somebody's and go, because yes, you can look at it and think, oh, that's so much better than mine. But you can also look at it, oh, that's good. I might try that. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. I do try and keep myself original and. And the other thing as well, because I've got so many ideas in my head, if I tried to do everything, I'd go crazy and never see anybody. So it's yeah. that trying to work out, right, what am I going to do this week, which is where writing it down on that wall planner comes in handy. I'm going to do this this week. I'm going to design this this week. I'm going to get that done this week. And it's having that structure that you know where you want to take your business and in, in the right direction as well. Mm-hmm. Having the buying that big, I, 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 the wall planner that was, I, I did that a, a go a couple months ago, and I'm so glad that I did. It's this big old dry erase board, and I have stuff written on it. And I, man, it, it crossing something off that list feels so good. Like yes, yes. I'm done with that. Like yes, <laughs> feels like victory. Ah, <laughs> uh, you see, you you are both exercising what in as I work for a large American corporation, we would call visual and daily management, and be paid a lot of money for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> but in reality, it's a big it's a big dry whiteboard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, guys, what you're saying basically is that it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you need to go in with eyes open, follow your passions. What else, what other recommendations would you give to anybody out there who's thinking, you know, I've been thinking of doing this, but I don't know whether I should take the plunge. You know, if, what, what advice would you give to people? I'd definitely say go for it. It's not it's not as scary. I think that thing that Alex said earlier, uh, where you don't think, you think it's run by these big factory people or big businesses that, you know, with big factories that, print it all off it's not a lot of the businesses you see on facebook online are little one-man bands especially at the trade shows and it's just people following the passion and doing a job that they love and yes having that financial backing is important and that's security because you don't want to lose your your house your marriage or whatever but if you're in a position um like I say, even if, like myself, you just give yourself six months, as long as you've got a little business plan of where you want to be at the end of every month so you know whether you're on track or not, you definitely go for it. Don't be scared because what's the worst that can happen? You've tried something and you've enjoyed yourself for six months and you've tried living the dream. If it doesn't work, don't ever, ever be afraid of failure. Yeah. I, I couldn't have done it. I, I couldn't have gotten even as far as I've gotten now um, without my friends. I've had some incredibly supportive and helpful people in my life. I've had good friends who have supported me, the people who share links to my stuff on Facebook, people who posted about my Kickstarter, people who've done just, you know, just because they, you know, want to support me. And, and I found yeah. like being active in some online communities has been helpful. I think I mentioned earlier, what really surprised me was just having an Instagram account like that. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a 40 year old dude, so, uh, like Instagram is not my thing, but I'm really glad I got on there. I get sales from it. Um, uh, uh, before I started doing this seriously, I actually talked to an accountant and asked the, the accountant for advice. 
I talked to the local small business administration. They were completely unhelpful and advised me not to do it um, unless I was a manufacturer because we need more manufacturing in the interior of Alaska and it looks good on our paperwork if we have more manufacturers. So they were not helpful to me at all, but they might be helpful to other people. And I talked to an insurance company um, uh, about things I need to be aware of. And um, I got some useful information on that. And it was, and all of those were cheap or free. I think the accountant cost me like 40 bucks just to talk to him for an hour. Um, the small business administration, that was free. The insurance agent, I think that was free. So there's, there's resources out there that are easily available to you. And also other people who run small games companies, people who are running doing the same sorts of things yeah. I do. Um, I probably asked a dozen people, and I got about seven or eight really good, helpful responses. And and uh, it's it's pleasantly surprising to me just how approachable so many people are in the industry. Like if you got a question, just ask, and you'll probably yeah. get an answer. You, know, you, you hope it's a good answer. You hope it's a helpful answer. You hope it's an accurate answer. But you'll you'll get you'll get responses. So. I fully agree with that, actually. I went to, like I say, a trade show in Nottingham. It's the only one I've done at the moment. And the amount of help and advice you get from other traders uh, was immense. And by the end of the day, I I actually felt part of of the team there. It was really good. Mm. I also want to agree it's your friends around you. The amount of times your friends... Your friends can sometimes put as much work into spreading the word as what you do. And... I wouldn't be anywhere near where I am at the moment without the friends I've got. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, from what I've seen at trade shows, small independent guys working together, it is, there's, there's that sense of community, of camaraderie. It's like, you might actually be selling competing products, but nobody wishes anybody badly. Yeah. Everybody wants to see people do well. I, I'm not even convinced that we're competing. I, I feel like... You know, the miniatures I sell are between 7 and $10. And yeah. most people, if they like my $10 miniature, they can buy my $10 miniature and they can buy my the next guy over $10 miniature too. I, I feel like it's we're really in a golden age of miniatures. Like if there is anything yeah. you ever wanted in a miniature, you can probably find it. And if you can't find it, you just you, like you post somewhere that you want it and somebody will make it. And so uh, I, I feel like we're all just adding to the breadth of stuff that's available for hobbyists. Um, uh, and and maybe with larger items like if if, if the stuff I was selling was a hundred or hundred and fifty bucks like then your market gets smaller and smaller. But for individual figures, I, I'm not really convinced we're competing. I think we're all we're all just making the hobby richer. At least at least yeah. that's I hope maybe. <laughs> well, I think that's I think that's a good point because um, I mean from a personal point of view, if I want something at a trade show, and you're right, if it's, it's say ten yeah. pounds, uh, which is ten dollars these days, you're right. I, I don't really. That's below my kind of, well, it's below the radar of, am I really going to stop myself doing this? If I like it enough, then you're, sure, it's it's a no-brainer. If you go to £20 or £30, then the things start kicking in of like, well, what else couldn't I buy? And you start making slightly more rational decisions. I'm not saying they are <laughs> rational, but slightly more rational. Yeah. And then you get the, you know, the, like the £50, which is the starter set, and all this sort of, you know, you start going up. And I guess the, the higher you go in, the more cerebral involvement comes in. <laughs> but not necessarily, yeah, because if you see something beautiful enough that you want enough, that kind of goes out the window. But I think you're right. You know, we are in a golden age of, of gaming. We've said it several times for the consumer. So, yeah, maybe maybe you're right that, you know, actually you guys aren't competing. Yeah, I agree with that. Alex, you mentioned Kickstarter. Yeah. So, uh, and that you've had a, a little Kickstarter. It was successful. Mm-hmm. 
Is that a funding route you see in the future? Uh, and Daryl, do you see going to Kickstarter as an option, or is it you know a purely retail route? Or you know, what are your plans for the future? Is it going to be? Are your visions for keeping it small, keeping it as you know a sort of small type business, or do you see you know the future as expansion, as getting bigger, recruiting people, making it a you know a more of a if you like a standard business model? You know how do you see things progressing? I'm not considering Kickstarter anything at the moment. It is purely word of mouth sort of retail. Yes, I, I do want to expand. Yes, I'd love a little unit, two or three people working together, um, and expanded getting bigger and bigger um i don't want to just stop as a one-man band um but kickstarter is not anything um i'm thinking of at the moment it is purely trade shows getting your name out there building it slowly because the one thing i don't want is so many orders coming in i literally cannot cope and starting to let people down because Years and years ago, I was taught by an old manager of mine that how hard it is to get yourself a a good name in in life, but how very, very easy it is to get a bad one. And that's always stuck with me. So I think if I did Kickstart or anything like that, it might be too big for me at the moment. So it's progressing, but making sure I grow and progress at a rate where I can keep the quality I like and keep the customer happy still, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, for me, I'm absolutely going to do another Kickstarter. I'm actually just, just yesterday I heard from a sculptor and as of, as of yesterday, like, uh, I think now eight of the 10 models for my next Kickstarter have already been sculpted. I've already got artwork finished for it and I'm ready. But, uh, you know, despite what I thought was exhaustive preparation, before I ran my first Kickstarter, I read uh, I read every article I could find on the topic. I read everything on Kickstarter's page about it. I joined some Kickstarter, like, help groups. I talked to friends of mine who run successful Kickstarters, and I thought I had it down. And um, one piece of advice that I kept seeing again and again was that there's a learning curve, and your second Kickstarter will always be better than your first one. And I was like, no, I've got this one handled. I was wrong. I was wrong. I was uh, I was overwhelmed by the volume of orders. I was overwhelmed by delays. I was overwhelmed. Like I had some stock arrived damaged, which took me weeks to fix, and I was demoralized and I had to file a claim at the post office. And oh my, like there were so many unexpected things. And I have uh, I am almost finished uh, with the fulfillment for the Kickstarter, and I'm not going to start my second one until I have my first one finished. I've got. All my U.S. orders are finished. I was surprised, like, almost half of the people who pledged my Kickstarter were in England, despite the international shipping being around 20 bucks. You know, like a third of the cost of the Kickstarter, again, was in shipping. And so that was, that was great, but international shipping is a real pain in the butt. And it's just been, yeah. it's just been slow. Like, even, even finding a local source for appropriate packaging proved to be difficult. And I've been, uh, I've been shipping a lot of my international stuff in baseball card boxes. Because I could find small, sturdy, relatively inexpensive boxes people use for storing baseball cards or magic cards. And I've been, and they're sturdy enough that I can ship international miniatures in them internationally. And, uh, I think being in the middle of Alaska, I have maybe some unique challenges regarding distance and shipping and weight that people in, you know, mainland USA or England wouldn't have. So. For my next Kickstarter, I've got uh, I've talked to somebody in the UK about uh, handling all my UK shipping or all my UK and EU shipping, and uh, I've had to like rearrange my garage a little bit to make 
or friendly, you know, uh, assuming that my next card Kickstarter, because the success of my first one, I was, I was optimistic. I was, I was confident it would succeed and I was optimistic I would exceed my goals. And I'm, I'm similar for my next one, but I, I certainly wasn't expecting to make $9,000. That was, that was, mm. that was freaking sweet, man. That was really, really great. Um, but I don't want to get ahead of myself or, or think that my next, my next one's going to be as successful or more successful. I, I'm confident it will succeed, but I'm not, you know, planning for, you know, a, a $4 million success again. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I see for me, realistically, the only way I'm going to be able to continue this is if I, if I'm able to continue doing Kickstarters. Uh, but I, I am doing some non-Kickstarter releases. I just had uh, something I'm really excited about. I've got a, a, a John Dennett was my favorite sculptor when I was a kid. He sculpted all the best D&D miniatures for Grenadier in the early 1980s. And uh, I was able to track him down and talk with him. And um, uh, he sculpted one miniature for me a couple of years ago. And he just finished sculpting a Sarush, a nine-inch long, uh, sort of long-necked monitor lizard dragon thing. It's sort of my attempt at making what if the Babylonian Sarush was a real animal? What would that look like? And uh, um, I think he did a great job. I'm super excited about having another great big John Dennett dragon on my table. I loved his dragons he did for Grenadier. I loved his creature compendiums. It just, it's, uh, that's probably my favorite part about doing this is like getting sculpts in from sculptors that I've been a fan of since I was a little kid. And like, look, I'm holding an original in my hand and I designed it and now I'm going to sell it to people. And that's, uh, that's just such a great feeling. Excellent. Yeah, I must admit, actually, one of the sort of fringe benefits of podcasting is that uh, you just get to ask people if they'll come on a show and, you know, they say yes. <laughs> so you get to meet some really cool people from all across the world that you would otherwise not have done, which I think is great. So, yeah, I can, I can appreciate that. I can appreciate that, uh, you know, it makes you have contacts that you would perhaps otherwise not have made or not thought of making. Yeah. Okay, well, we're running quite long, so that just, I think, pretty much brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you very much to, to both of you. Alex, where can we find Forge of Ice if we want to have a look at your upcoming Kickstarter and some of the other minis you've got, got to look at? At the moment, I am only on Facebook. Building a, web, building a web, getting a website set up is my absolute next priority. I should have one in the next month or two. For the moment, it's just Facebook Forge of Ice. Forge of Ice. Um, uh, you can find me on Instagram as well. Um, but Facebook, and I'm on a couple of forums, the Lead Adventure Forum, the Miniatures page. But Facebook's the Facebook's the main place to find me. And I would recommend going and checking out some really nice minis you've got. And I know we've talked about getting an order in as well. Uh, looking forward to the Cult of the Cyclops as well. And I think people should actually have a look at that because it's quite a. It's, it's not probably what they're expecting from that name. And I think it's really cool. I won't give too much away, but uh, I really like the carvings. Excellent. Daryl, where can people find Lasercut Architect? Well, uh, Facebook again. Uh, if you go to Facebook, we have a Facebook Lasercut Architect. But we also have a website. It's www.lasercutarchitect.co.uk. And uh, we have a homepage on there. We have a shop. And just go have a browse, have a look at it all. Um, we do like feedback. So by all means, if we do something and you want it changing slightly, the beauty of being a one-man business. Someone's got in contact with me, one of my books, and they wanted it to have like a metal clasp look. So I've designed them one. And it's we can design it a lot to people's sort of desires and what they want. So, we, you know, by all means, get in contact. Yeah. I think people's feedback, from our point of view, is one of the most important things we can get. Do you agree, Alex? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I have totally altered things based on requests I've gotten. 
Yeah. Yeah, and I definitely recommend taking a look at, uh, at Daryl's stuff over on Lace Cut Architect. I've used some of his stuff. It's really good. It's good quality. We will be buying more, which I'm sure Daryl will be pleased to hear there. Oh, yes. Loving the book, by the way. I can't wait to see a slightly larger version, uh, which I know you're working on at the moment. Again, thanks to you both for taking the time out and talking to us. That just about wraps up this episode. My thanks to our listeners out there in the gaming world for tuning and downloading the show. If you like what we're doing, please leave us feedback on iTunes. Just like these guys, feedback is really important for us. Send us any comments, queries, requests through our blog, which you can find through Facebook or on the web by searching for Man's Model Moments. Also, please don't forget the listener poll. That's still up from last time on Women in Wargaming. So go ahead, vote and have your say. So all that's left to do is once again thank our guests for being on the show. Alex from Forge of Ice. Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. And Daryl from Lasercut Architect. Yeah, same again. Thank you. Uh, really enjoyed it. So, signing off from the Hub Systems, it's Alex. And Oscar. We'll see you next time. <laughs>